the second that you receive Christ as your savior, you trust in him in so many ways, he then functions as your example. He says to the disciples, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to the closing part four of Behold, My Servant from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor's text is the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 49. Here's a simple question for you, and there aren't a lot of choices for an answer. The question is, who is God in your life? Think there are many possibilities? Not really. It's basically either God or you. Which one are you currently serving? In today's part four of Behold, My Servant, Pastor Paul Twist speaks about how, if we trust in Christ for eternal security, it is folly and downright suicidal to not follow him in our day-to-day decisions. Dare to disagree? Here's part four of Behold, My Servant. Consider the Lord Jesus' ministry. He's faithful, he's steadfast, as we thought about this morning. He doesn't deny God any of the glory that is due to him. He puts God on display perfectly. He has many around him. He has a huge crowd following. But as you know, especially from the Gospel of John, those that follow him are believing unbelievers. They are believing in something. They see something in Christ that they like, but they are not believing in Christ in the way that Christ demands to be believed upon. They're giving their thumbs up to the fact that Jesus does miracles. They're saying, I want in on this man's ministry because he feeds many people. They're not believing in him in the way that he demands to be believed upon. And so at the end of his life, as he stands trial and is falsely accused and is nailed to a cross, the servant says, I have toiled in vain. I've spent my strength but for nothing and vanity. And then we see the servants say, yet. Yet, surely the justice due to me is with the Lord. My reward with my God. As I read these short statements from the servant, I am reminded of the psalmist. How often we read in the psalms, those psalms of lament, where the psalmist says something similar. I have Desire to give you glory, I have been faithful, but look at the circumstances around me. The psalmist decries the the situation before him, and then there is always that turning point in the psalm where he says, but I choose to trust you. I entered into the house of the Lord. My mind was refreshed with regard to the true nature of your character, and so I choose to trust you. In the same way, the servant says, I toiled in vain, and yet my justice due to me is with the Lord. My reward is with my God. And there is a sense here that the servant is looking forward. The servant finds the solution to the apparent vanity of his ministry by choosing to look forward. He says, my justice, that's the same word that we came across this morning, the the uprightness, my vindication. The vindication of my ministry will one day be announced. 
I know it to be true, says the servant. Ultimately, my reward rests with God. And one day it will be made plain for all to see. Now you notice here that the servant is functioning very much as our example. Again, he's called Israel. He's here to lead the Israelites in doing what they had failed to do. And the paradigm works for us also. Christ is the object of your faith. He is the object of your salvation. You look to him for the forgiveness of sins. You don't work yourself to a right standing with God. You cannot do so. The only solution is to believe upon Christ. But the second you do, in so many ways, Christ becomes your example. The second that you receive Christ as your savior, you trust in him in so many ways, he then functions as your example. He says to the disciples, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. Immediately after Peter pronounces, I believe that you are the Christ, he says, now follow me. Now allow me to be your example. You need to walk in the way that I walk. And so also here, the servant is functioning as our example. I think we affirm the logic of this verse when we read the Gospels. It is not new to us, the logic that we're reading here. When you open Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, you, you read the testimony of Jesus' life. And it's not long into the gospel that we start to read concerning statements to the effect of the Pharisees sought to kill him. It's really not far into the gospel that we start to read statements that people were rejecting this man. And my guess is that when you get to those points in the gospel, you do not close your Bible. My guess is at that point, you don't close your Bible and say, I'm out, I can't keep reading because this isn't going the way I would like it to go. No, you probably keep reading. But then as you keep reading, things go from bad to worse. Jesus is openly rejected. He's now put on trial. He's falsely accused. And again, at that point, I don't imagine that you close your Bible and say, I can't read on because I would rather it be a different story. You probably go all the way up to the cross You take in the crucified Christ and you still haven't closed your Bible. Now, why is that? Because with the servant, you are able to see the end from the beginning. Just as the servant at this point is able to look forward to view the end from the beginning, so you also, when you read the story of this man's life, do the same. We ascribe to this logic when we read of Jesus' life. The difficulty is this, ascribing to this logic when it relates to our lives. If Jesus here is functioning as our example, the difficulty that you and I face on a very practical level is applying this logic in our own lives. When trials come, when hardships come, when we feel the reality of life in a broken world, each and every time it is an opportunity to trust in the Lord. We do not have license as Christians to give in to fear to give in to anxiety, to get angry or frustrated. Each and every time our lives intersect with the reality of sin in a broken world is an opportunity to look forward, to say, Lord, I don't understand. Your ways aren't my ways. I affirm your sovereignty in this moment. I don't understand, but I look forward. I choose right now to look to the final horizon of salvation history. And I know on that day my reward is with my God. You have promised it. 
in the Gospels, you tell me my reward is with you and it will come on the last day. I was speaking earlier with Brother Lance at lunch about traffic in L.A., just a fun topic to discuss at lunch. If you've ever been to L.A., you'll know something of the traffic there. Trust me, you don't know the full of it. It was January of this year that I was driving on the 14 North around 5 p.m., which really means only one thing. We were stationary. (laughs) And I had some of the kids in the back, and we were all getting a little agitated. There was noise in the car, more noise than I was happy with, and so I'm trying to think how to settle the kids. And I said to them, kids, look up. And for a moment, they kind of turned and they said, Dad, what are you talking about? There's a car. I said, no, look up. So they looked up and they saw more traffic up the hill. And they said, Dad, it's a load of traffic. I said, guys, look up. And as they let their eyes go further and further up towards the horizon, eventually they saw what I saw. These snow-crested mountains, brilliant white And the sun setting just behind them, flooding the horizon with pinks and oranges. And we all just sat there, staring at this incredible view. And the car was quiet. When you experience the hardships of life, the reality of sin, it's an opportunity to trust in the Lord, to imitate the servant and to look forward to the final horizon of salvation history, to say, I don't understand, but I do trust you. Finally, we read of the servant's success. The Lord responds to him. Now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. That's the servant introducing the Lord before he speaks. And just notice, before we consider exactly what it is the Lord says, just notice what an encouragement it is to trust in the Lord. The servant has just explained his journey of trusting in the Lord. Most immediately around me, there is vanity. I've toiled in vain. But then he says, yet I trust you. I look forward and my reward is with you. That has just happened. And I don't think it's any coincidence that immediately off of the back of that, the servant is able to say in verse 5, I am honored in the sight of the Lord. My God is my strength. Again, speaking very much from a human's perspective. His humanity is on display here. And it would be exactly true of us to say the same thing. Each and every time that you choose to trust in the Lord, God says of you two things. Number one, he says, you are honored in my sight. And number two, I have become your strength. Every time you choose to trust in the Lord, to not give in to anxiety or fear or frustration or anger, but to set your eyes afresh on the truth of the gospel and his son, to look forward and say, my reward is with you. God responds and says, you are honored in my sight and I have become your strength. And with that said, God speaks. He says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, 
to restore the preserved ones of Israel. God is saying, my, my glory is too great. He's saying, my mission through you needs to be far greater than simply to the tribes of Israel. They have to follow you. I need you to lead them in success. But more than that, I need the light to go to the nations. It has to spill out over the nation of Israel to the nations. And so God says, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, think again about the Israelites receiving this text. They're receiving these oracles from the prophet Isaiah and all the way through they are receiving lessons, instructions as to how to trust in the Lord. And at this point, perhaps, at this point, perhaps, is the hardest lesson of all. I say that because, as you know, the Israelites throughout their history had been jealous for God's saving grace in an improper way. The Israelites had become jealous of God's grace in an improper way. They did not want salvation to go to the nations. Think about the prophet Jonah. He is just your average Israelite. And he was determined to do anything he could so as to not bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles. That is true of the nation. All of Israel did not want to see anyone else receive this special saving grace from the Lord. And so perhaps the hardest instruction, the hardest lesson in this lesson of trust is that they would embrace the fullness of God's mission, that they would get on board yet still more when they see that this servant will take the gospel to the nations. For us, it's different. We don't sit here this evening struggling, embittered in our heart that the mission of the servant was to go to the nations. We don't struggle with that because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be here. We rejoice at this verse. We celebrate the fact that God's plan was for his salvation to go to the ends of the earth. And here we sit here this evening in Christ, the happy recipients of the gospel. We rejoice and we say there is actually no lesson of trust for us here, except there is. There is an imperative that flows out of this verse to us. And to see it more clearly, I want to turn all the way to the New Testament with you. Turn with me all the way to the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 13. The book of Acts charts the progression of the gospel to the ends of the earth, and central to that message is the church. The church are always there, being faithful to do the things that the church is called to do. It's actually a very simple ministry that the church are commissioned with in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, they were devoting themselves to four things, to fellowship, to prayer, to communion, and to sitting under God's word. That's what the church were doing. It's a very simple purpose statement. But as they were faithful to do that, so God used the church to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, we see something very interesting. Paul and Barnabas make a speech. And at the end of their speech, Acts chapter 13, verse 47, they say this. The Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. At the end of their speech, they quote from our text this evening, Isaiah chapter 49. 
the Lord commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Now, here's what's curious. They said, the Lord commanded us. If we were being picky, we would say, no, he didn't. He commanded the servant with these words, Paul and Barnabas, what are you doing? Now, Paul and Barnabas are not trying at all to be deceitful. They just understand the theology, both of the book of Isaiah and of church history, the history that's being written before their very eyes. The theology is simply this, the servant, the risen Lord Jesus is no longer with us bodily. He has ascended. And as he ascends, he passes on the baton. The apostles know it's with us now. We carry on the mission. And that's why when you read through the book of Acts, the apostles are continuously presented in the likeness of Jesus. Read through all of Acts and what you see is many Jesus-like things. Many Jesus-like things. The apostles are being presented by Luke intentionally in the likeness of Jesus because Luke is trying to show us they're simply carrying on the mission. They're not doing anything new. They're doing what Jesus did. And then if we probe those correspondences still further, what we find is that the apostles are presented particularly in the likeness of Jesus in so much as Jesus came as the suffering servant of Isaiah. There is a particular accent on Isaiah's theology in the book of Acts as we see the apostles taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Paul and Barnabas pick up the servant song and say, we're running with this now. Notice, it's Paul and Barnabas. That's important. Why? Because we don't get to say this was an apostle thing. Paul, the apostle, Barnabas, the non-apostle. They made this speech together. We don't get to say this is an apostle thing. And in fact, if we kept reading, there would be many other incidences in the book of Acts where we can see non-apostles presented in the likeness of Christ and doing Isaianic servant-like things. The point is this. It is the mission of the church to carry on the mission of the servant. It is the responsibility of all of us here to do exactly what these men understood to make sure that the gospel keeps progressing. The mission is still on. The gospel has to keep going out. We have to keep shining the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and fallen world. How? By being the church. Here's the moral imperative that flows out from Isaiah 49. You need to be here. You need to be all about the local church because the book of Acts teaches us it is the local church that is God's chosen instrument by which he is accomplishing his plan at this point in redemptive history. There is no other institution that is more important on planet earth than the local church. Every time the church gathers, it is the most significant gathering on planet earth, period. If you have a membership to the local church, yours is the most valuable membership on planet earth. You need to show up and play your part, whatever that looks like. God calls us all to different ministries. He gives us different gifts. He wires us in different ways. But you show up in order to serve the church. You get involved. You share your life with the lives of others. You get up close and personal so as to be a blessing to others. You're not here with a consumer mentality. You are here to serve and trust in the fact that when you do, 
when you do, in ways that you cannot fully appreciate, God is working out his plan of salvation through you. He is accomplishing things through the local church, the full extent of which we will only truly realize when we get to glory. I fully believe that when we get to glory and we see, when we see the significance of the local church and all that God was doing through the bride of Christ, we will look at each other and say, why didn't we meet more often? Why did I choose not to be present more often? The imperative that flows out from Isaiah 49 is that you and I would take God's plan of salvation seriously today. Being worked out through the ministry of the local church, we would play our part. And in doing, we would demonstrate our trust in God by simply showing up and worshiping in spirit and truth and spending ourselves for the goodness of others. We are demonstrating that we trust in the Lord, that we take him at his word. And when that is the testimony of your life, God will be greatly glorified. Pray with me now to close. Our Father, we do praise you again this evening for the ministry of the servant. We praise you for his willingness to be sent, to persevere through such a difficult ministry that ended on the cross for his example that he sets for us as he looks forward and declares with all certainty, my reward is with my God, for how he shows us the great encouragement that comes from trusting in you. Each and every time we trust in you, you respond and say, you are honored in my eyes, and I have become your strength. And Lord, we praise you this evening that the mission of the servant was not to Israel only, but to the nations. We do sit here this evening rejoicing in the fact that the gospel has come to us, that in your goodness the gospel has come to us. We are children of the living God by virtue of the grace of the gospel and nothing else. And we do recognize that there is a responsibility that comes with that, a responsibility that is evidenced by Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts as they pick up the baton, they quote the servant's song, And they say, we're carrying on with this mission. It is the same responsibility that sits on our shoulders this evening. We are to keep going with the mission. We're grateful that the formula is so simple. To be part of the ministry of the local church. To show up. To be present. To be all about your treasured possession. The bride of Christ. Trusting that each and every time we gather, you are doing incredible things through the church. Lord, help us. Help us to trust you in this way and be glorified, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You are listening to Timeless Truth Today. You were asked at the beginning of this program, there's a simple question we all must answer. Are you believing God? Or are you playing God? And if you're honest with yourself and agree that you've been playing God most of your life, how's it been working out so far? How does the future look in that way? Do you think it's time to hand over the reins of your life to the one who actually created you? 
Or are you going to continue carrying the world's problems, let alone your own burden of your sins on your own shoulders? There is a lighter load for you, my friend. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus Christ and how he came as a servant so that you could find your own life by serving him, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcasts for a free archive of Pastor Paul's Gospel Sermons. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Listen tomorrow for part one of a new series by Pastor Paul Twiss, Prepare the Way of the Lord, from Matthew chapter 3. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.